Welcome to the workshop, OA How, Sailing Ahead Together. My name is Tamar, and I'm a compulsive overeater and moderator for this session. Hi, Tamar. Hi. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones and pagers. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, ask-it-basket questions, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil is being circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for or both. The reading is from, as Bill whoops, sees it, page 302. Our first speaker will be Nancy from Los Angeles. And I hope to speak for... Oh, I'm supposed to do that after I read. <laughs> Page 302 from As Bill Sees It, Comradeship in Peril. We always are like the passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck, when camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feelings of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as we go our individual ways. The feeling of sharing in a common peril Relapse into alcoholism or compulsive overeating continues to be an important element in the powerful cement which binds us of OA together. Our first woman alcoholic had been a patient of Dr. Harry Talbot's, and he had handed her a pre-publication manuscript copy of the big book. The first reading made her rebellious, but the second convinced her. Presently, she came to the meeting in our living room, and from there she returned to the sanitarium carrying the classic message to a fellow patient, we aren't alone anymore. So our first speaker is Nancy from Los Angeles. We'll speak for 20 minutes. Do we have a timer here? I've got, I've got an alarm on mine. Hi, I'm Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Nancy. And welcome. Um, I am going to, in a general way, just quickly sort of tell you what it was like for me, what happened, and what I'm like now, and my experience in OA How, and actually my experience in OA, um, which preceded my experience in OA How. Um, a couple of details, because if you're anything like me, and you can be or you can't be, it makes no you know, it is the way we are, it's different. I sit there and go, hmm, wonder how old they are, wonder how long they've been in program, gee, you know, all of these details. And I like to get focused on details because then I don't have to look at me. So um, I have been abstinent for the past little over, oh, little over three and a half years in the program of OA How. Um, my, I have been during my lifetime, I have been anorexic, I have been bulimic, I have been a compulsive overeater, so sort of all three, you know, all three of the physical aspects of compulsive eating I have experienced, um, all of them symptoms of my spiritual sickness, and, and my spiritual sickness has led me to a lot of places that I would have just preferred never to have been, um, which would be in the bottom of a trash can. Uh, which would be, um, you know, eating, consuming enormous amounts of food and doing all kinds of interesting things to get rid of it. Um, I am one of these people that um, had a real problem with trash. 
I identify with people, uh, especially alcoholics, which I happen to be one, but, you know, trying to discard, you know, discard the evidence. Okay, so I was always trying to discard the evidence, and I would go to any lengths to get rid of the evidence, never realizing that all the evidence of what I was doing was on me, and anybody with eyes or hands to feel could have seen the evidence. So that's who I am. You know, I am a trash can eater. I stole food. I did all of, you know, I did all of that stuff, and I did it for a really, really long time. I did not start out life as a chubby kid, um, and but you know, and I and that's just that's just the way it is. You know, I had a family that ate actually very healthily. And somehow life got too much for me. And as a small child and up until I was a teenager, I had ways of escaping that did not include food and did not include other substances. Um, when I became a teenager, all of those mechanisms that I had used up until that point to protect myself um, no longer worked. And I had to seek outside help. And I did. And I continued to use outside help for a really, really long time, not realizing that that outside help was trying to fix an in inside job. So that's who I am. Top weight was about 210 pounds. Bottom weight was about 105. So I've been, like I said, you know, all three, all three parts of the disease I ha have experienced. Um, and how did I ever get into OA? And I was actually in the meeting next door uh, on the traditions and, and really, really enjoying the speakers and listening and, and thinking, um, how did I get to my first OA meeting? And it was probably about 16 or 17 years ago. And I'm not really sure. Not a clue. Um, you know, and I will tell you, I went in there with, um, with prejudice, with I'm better than anybody in here. I, you know, I don't want anything you have. I don't understand. All of those things, all of those arrogant, um, just absolute arrogant ideas that I had at that particular point in time. And I would come into the rooms. I would sit down. I would not shut up, and I would not listen. And so what did I get out of the rooms? I got nothing out of the rooms except more um, more judgment of of away actually is what happened and and that's truly no it's not always fault it was nobody in the room's fault that is just the progression of my disease you know as i went along i became more and more arrogant because i was more and more afraid because of all the things that was going were going on in my life and that my life was completely and totally out of control in every area of my life the one that was most vi vi visible was, of course, the physical aspect, by, because by this time, um, all I was doing was compulsively eating. I would come home at, from work, and, you know, the eating would be absolutely nonstop. If I was around people, I could sort of hold it together when I wasn't stealing food off of patients' trays, which is one of the things I did. I work in a hospital, so there was food everywhere, and I availed myself of that everywhere. Um, my life was spiraling down in lots of ways, and about, I guess now about 10 or 12 years ago, um, my husband and a therapist did an intervention on me, 
and I was not ready for that intervention. I hated them for it. I rebelled. I did, you know, I I compromised. I ugh, denial, all of those stuff. You know, all of that was true, and um, ended up, you know, sort of coming back to OA. And once again, I sat there with all the judgment, with all the arrogance, with all the with everything, because I had not gotten to a bottom yet. And about four, almost four years now, it would be four years in October, uh, September, actually September, um, right before September 11th, um, I, as I have said, I'm a member of another 12-step program, and one of the women I sponsored started going to, the, to OA How, and I had always heard and partially because I've been in 12-step programs for uh, quite a while, I always heard people say, you know, oh, way how are the step Nazis? You know, they're the step Nazis. So I had this, oh, I can't join them because they're going to tell me what to do. Because part of that arrogance for me is nobody's going to tell me what to do. I know it all. Yeah, right. That's how. <laughs> Anyhow, so, you know, that was my attitude. But what I saw in this individual was tremendous change. It wasn't the weight. It was the change in the personality. She wasn't as fearful. Um, she was able to handle situations that used to baffle her. What I saw was a psychic change. That's truly what I saw in her in a very, very short period of time. And so what happened was she and I were talking and, you know, God does for me what I can't do for myself. And out of my mouth came, I will go to a meeting of OA How with you. And I couldn't believe, really, quite frankly, I still can't believe it, I, that I said it and I meant it. Um, I, at that particular time, she was going to um, one, me one meeting, and I had a prior commitment that was like a four-week commitment. And I said, as soon as this commitment is over, I will go to an OA How meeting with you. Um, still carrying all the prejudice of, they're step Nazis and they're going to tell me what to do and all that other stuff. Um, but I went with her and I have been abstinent ever since. You know, the miracle happened for me in OA How. I, what I know now, I didn't know then, but what I needed was structure. And for me, OA How gave me that structure. Um, I can look back, and especially in the last, actually the last meeting I was listening to, explained so well how some of us, we need different things. So for some people, OA is absolutely okay. What I didn't realize in those first years when I was going to OA and, you know, judging it and all of this, is that many people can choose their own abstinence, that they can, that's what they can do. I was uncomfortable. It wasn't anything to do with anybody else or OA in itself. I needed the structure. What I didn't know was that's what I needed. And what, you know, what a gift to be able to know that today. I do need the structure. You know, I have to. You know, my meals are planned. I don't have a whole bunch of wiggle room, room and that works for me. You know, and it's worked one day at a time for this last three and a half plus years. Um, I don't yet have enough discipline not to have a food plan and I may never have that I don't know and you know what it works for me today and that's that's what I have you know today it is absolutely okay for me to have a plan 
I still go to most of the meetings that I go to in OA are OA with an OA how focus. However, those are truly mixed meetings because there are people in there from OA, you know, from regular OA. There are people from OA how, and the the two meetings that I primarily go to, we have a really good blend, you know, and the people that don't need the strict food plan are okay. And those of us that do, we're okay too. So um, I love in this, the, the reading as Bill sees it, you know, we, um, unlike the feeling of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in escape with, from disaster does not subside as, our individ, as we go our individual ways. The feeling of sharing a common peril relapse into compulsive eating continues to be an important element in the powerful cement which binds us of OA together. And that's really important for me. It's about looking at the similarities. I was told early on in the program, look for the similarities, look for the difference. Don't look for the differences. Try and identify with the feelings. And I can certainly do that. Um, my feelings of just absolute um, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I can be in an OA how meeting and share those and know that they understand what I'm talking about. I can also be in an OA meeting and hear someone share about, you know, their pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I can identify that. The structure is just the structure. It is what keeps us together as an organization. Um, I have not been in the program long enough so that I know the history of the before, the after, and the before, the middle, and the after, but I know that it exists. And um, I do know that there is, that for me it's important that we can be together, you know, whether I'm a member of OA How or a member of OA, I am a member of OA, I just happen to have a How focus. Um, and it worked for me. You know, it is, and it is exactly what I needed. Um, and I have found that I, with more structure, I become more teachable. And that's what I needed. You know, I can walk into rooms and not judge everybody quite as much as I used to. This is a really nice thing. I am, in not judging you, I am better at not judging me. I am better at forgiving myself, and so I am a much more um, present human being because I'm not so busy in my head, you know, constantly, well, why did you eat this, or why did you say that, or why, 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 you're a piece of, you know, caca, and which is what used to, you know, go on in my mind all the time. And what I have found in a way is that voice is not as loud, it is not as frequent, it is not as often, and I have a level of serenity that I've never ever had in my entire life. What I have found in this program is um, I am a professional, um, have worked a relatively high-powered professional life for a really long time, but if you got me in a group of people um, at the same level I was, I was always less than. I could not open my mouth because you'd find out who I, who I am, that I am this absolutely phony person, 
and have no business being in this room or any other room in the world. And most of that has gone away. I can be with a bunch of my peers and I can define, you know, my professional peers, um, my OA peers, you know, and I am comfortable most of the places I am. And what a joy that is. And it's because of being in rooms like this and being able and being taught by other people to be able to sit down and listen and to hear their struggles and hear their triumphs and hear the solution. And I always used to think it was about looking good on the outside. For the longest time, I could never ask my higher power for help because I thought my, my weight and my outside being was just vanity. And what I didn't realize that that was like a total symptom of the disease that was inside. But what I have learned in these rooms is to replace that disease, replace that hole with the love of all of you, with my higher power, who I can stay relatively connected with to because I don't have the means anymore of making that block happen. You know, there's no... There are no outside substances um, blocking me from my higher power. That doesn't mean I can't go squirreling off somewhere, and it happens, And but the time is shorter that I can get back to my higher power. And I learned that here, you know, and I learned it from everyone. And that's for me, that's the message, that there's hope, and that that horrible, the thing that I use, the, the reason why I ate, you know, is about a spiritual, you know, it's about a spiritual sickness. I uh, have worked with a therapist for a long time because some of us are sicker than others. And I used to say, but I think I'm hungry. And he would just look at me and goes, what are you talking? You think you're hungry? He's, and he said, hunger's not in the head. And I go, yeah, but I think I'm hungry. And it took me the longest time, and it took me coming into these rooms and to becoming abstinent till I realized that hunger is not in my head. And when the hunger is in my head, that's not real hunger. That's emotional stuff going on that I need to either write about, talk to my sponsor about, do something about. Um, but hunger is centered in my gut, and I get hungry nowadays. Uh, my stomach growls, actually, in the last meeting or the meeting before. I thought everybody in the room could have heard it because it was just carrying on like nobody's business. But that's hunger. You know, it's not up here. It's not in here. The hunger that I used to deal with the food um, was here. Now the hunger that I deal with is the kind that keeps me going. I'm uh, 57 years old. I have never in my life felt better than I do today. Um, I have the pleasure of parking in a fairly large parking structure, many layers. Um, at the end of usually a very grueling day, I can go up those stairs, I do not get short of breath, and I go get in my car and away I go. Um, a couple of, about three years ago, I could do one flight of stairs and my legs would be doing this and I'd be panting. And what a gift um, not to have to do that. I am eternally indebted to OA and OA how for what I have today. And what I have today is all on the inside. And um, it's 
a gift from you to me. And I think it is the... I was in the, at the 70th International AA Convention in Toronto, and the theme of that was I am responsible. And I am responsible to be here to put my hand out to welcome somebody else. Just when I walked in the door, and it doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned whether we're OA how or OA, I am responsible to put my hand out to help another suffering um, compulsive eater. So thank you for letting me share. Hi. My name is Val, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Val. Mm. That was really good. Um, let's see. Sailing along together. We're all in the same boat. I think I was born a compulsive overeater. It was a very difficult birth when I was born, and uh, I won't go into it. But uh, um, I was hungry after my birth. And uh I was very irritated and frustrated, and I just kind of remained that way, I think, right up till I, uh, um, for a long time. I can get that way very quickly now, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, but it doesn't, it's not as big a problem as it has been in the past. But anyway, I, I just think that, you know, some people weren't compulsively overeating and they, they became that way, but I think I was born that way, and I think I'm physically different from my fellows. In other words, I have a physical allergy that certain foods, they make me want more. They just, they never satisfy me. They're never going to set, but these, they, they have this elusive whatever that grabs me. I mean, like, you know, I don't know, it's crazy, but there are certain foods I just avoid because they're never going to satisfy me. And believe me, I've probably had my whole life, you know, if, if I was to live to be 90, I've eaten all of the desserts. By the time I was 30, I'd eaten all the desserts for a 90-year-old's life. You know, I had my quota. And, uh, you know, I'd had, um, yeah, bagels for the lifetime, you know. I'm kind of a, you know, I think it's a car. It could be a weed thing. You know, there's a lot of things I don't understand. But, you know, I don't have to. I don't really have to. That's what I like about this program is I, I just have to be honest with how the most important thing for me was being honest. But I digress. I want to tell you about my first, uh, my early days a little bit, just that my sisters, I had two older sisters and one younger sister, and the older sisters called me Pally the Pig, and then they called me dog food names and stuff, and uh, they could always make me cry by calling me fat, and it was true, and I was a pig, and I really hated it, and they could make me cry by telling me that. And um, uh, my dad, uh, his sort of affectionate name for me was Pally, and uh, uh, so they would call me Pally the Pig, and that would always really upset me. Um, and we, they had, you know, they were just so mean to me. And so it was very important that I, and they wanted it, they, it was always in order to keep me humble so I would not be, you know, swollen-headed, uh, which was a futile thing on their part. But anyway, um, my younger sister then, the task fell to me to make sure that she then did not have this problem of being swollen-headed, although she was not a compulsive overeater and did not have the problems that I had. 
but I, um, I, I really resented her because my mother had these three girls, and I was the youngest for four years, and then she had this other child, and it just distracted her from me, and uh, she had a full-time job as well, and lots of things going on, and then she had this child, and she had less time for me. She hired this woman to take care of me, and um, I, I don't know. You know, it was a kind of a whiplash experience. I, I was devastated by my, when I was very young, my mother went out of town to work for a while, and I, I don't know what happened, except I was, remember being devastated be, before I could speak, and then bonding with this nurse that she hired, who was wonderful, wonderful woman, and then, uh, you know, she came back, and she fired the nurse, and then it was mom, and then, then she had the other child, and she hired the nurse back, and then it was, you know, kind of a whiplash thing, but, you know, these, my mom had really good taste in health, and lots of money, and she could hire really good people, I have to hand it to her, and I know she was doing the best she could, um, uh, but it wasn't good enough, of course, I mean, I needed more. This has been this, this is my theme song. I needed more. I always wanted more, and uh, so I was very addicted to sugar. And, and she put me on my first diet when I was very young. And I remember goat's milk and oranges. That's all I remember of being and separated from my sisters. I had to eat other things from, from what they could eat. And um, uh, that that you know I'm different. I got a problem. And uh, so anyway, various problems, various events in my childhood. Uh, the, the, a fudgical event that was very clear that I wasn't supposed to eat any of that. And I had, we had the Good Humor Man and the Helms Man, which came around to your door, you know, in those days. And, and I had personal relationships with those gentlemen, <laughs> even though they were off limits. But, you know, I had to get through the day. And especially after school was a very difficult time for me. And these men really, uh, uh, really saved my life in, in, in childhood. And that was very important to me. Um, when I got to college, uh, I was very, very frustrated. And I could not diet because, uh, well, there were two diets that I knew of that I had lost weight on. One was the go-to-Mexico diet, which was the dysentery diet. And I could lose, I had lost 20 pounds occasionally. And then it took me six months to a year to gain it back. And the falling in love diet, which is where, you know, you get a different obsession. And you're not as hungry because you're obsessed about a person. And then... After about six months, the, the poor man becomes a human, or a boy becomes just a regular person, and then well, you're back to the food again. So <clears throat> um, those were the only diets that I'd ever tried. When I got to college, I found a diet doctor on Imperial Highway, and I had a spiritual experience of a really fabulous kind. I became God. I um, was taking these, uh, you know, the shots and the pills, and I, the pills to control the appetite and the shots to something. I forget how it was a recipe. And anyway, uh, but I was fabulous. And, uh, and you know, I had always been so self-conscious and upset about myself that when I found these pills, you know, it was like I didn't care anymore. And I knew that that had been the problem. The problem was me and being so self-conscious and thinking about myself so much. And when I took these pills, you know, it was just kind of like, I don't care anymore, and, you know, like I could have sex, and because I wasn't self-conscious, and it was like, if you don't call me, next, you know, like, okay, and how wonderful that was, oh, it was wonderful, and I thought I was so powerful, and I had, like, no caring anymore, but, you know, really, you know, they ate my soul, is what happened with those pills, you know, they just, the shots and the pills, of, you know, when I, 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 of course, I took them. I have a problem letting go when I think I found a solution. So after eight years with, uh, you know, my shoulders were white with scar tissue from the shots and, you know, 
I went to a, my, they, they were doing an intervention on me, my relatives. By then I was married and really, you know, strange place. But they got me to this church where a Christian psychologist was talking about God. And I remember he said, uh, you know, God is truth and truth is God. So anything you find out in school, you know, there's nothing that's going to teach you that there's no God when you go to college. Don't you? He was talking to freshmen in college. And, of course, you know, I had done graduate work and I knew that, you know, there was no God. So, uh, you know, I was really, really smart. And um, so uh, he was talking about this truth thing, and it was just like such a shocking concept that my whole world just seemed to crumble. And uh, and then, you know, I, I quit I quit drinking. I was drinking, uh, uh, you know, alcoholically then because, uh, you know, my nerves got really, really, really tense from these pills. And, and I was having trouble sleeping. And, and I was having trouble having sex, too. I was having trouble with everything because, you know, I just, I was just real prickly. And uh, so the drinking really helped. It was kind of, you know, you know, energetically mellow is the way I was, you know, with the alcohol. And I really couldn't not drink, uh, you know, after 12. You know, if, if I could go last till noon, you know. And then, so this was a big thing when this guy spoke and I had this big thing and then I, decided, you know, I didn't decide. It was just like, oh, I'm not drinking anymore. Hey, that's great. You know, it wasn't any kind of a conscious thing. And then on, that was on Tuesday night, uh, on Tuesday, I went to work from four to nine and I never could not drink on that kind of a schedule because it was four. I had to go till four without drinking. But anyway, went to work and then I remember thinking, I'm not going to stop for beer on the way home. My husband's going to be so shocked. And uh, and that's all I thought, you know, and I didn't, and I don't remember if he was shocked or not, but the next day, it was a Wednesday, I didn't work at all, and it was 3.30 in the afternoon when I just had this, like, oh, my God, I'm not drinking, oh, my God, and and so I I did, it was, oh, my God, there was a, a sense of a presence in my kitchen, and and uh, this voice spoke to me, but not in an audible way, because that's crazy, uh, but this voice said, you know, I love you, I love you madly. And uh, I love you so much that I don't care what you do. I'm giving you this gift. You don't have to drink anymore. And uh, you can be a complete failure, actually. Val, you, can, you could be just a housewife. Always my, my, work, my thought of the most terrible thing that could happen. Nowadays, we'd love for that to happen. But in those days, you know, like just a housewife, no job. Or, or you could, uh, like, be never get work in your chosen field. You could be ostracized and da 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 You could be a terrible house. You could be a terrible wife. You could be a terrible this. You could do this. You could fail here or there. And I'm going to just, I just adore you. I don't know what it is about you. I just love you so much. And you can go back and drink some more. If you want to go back to drinking, you can. I'll still love you. There's nothing you can do about it. It's there. And this was a, a, a very, it actually made me pretty nervous. Um, you know, uh, so I joined that church. You know, I thought, oh, that must be what I'm supposed to do. So I joined that church, got very religious, and um, that was pretty funny. But anyway, I quit smoking, too, uh, and I quit taking the pills eventually. I joined this. In those days, in the 70s, uh, we were having this. Uh, we had Christian encounter groups. It was like psychology, pop psychology, and religion together. Anyway, uh, it was you know, it was good. It helped me. I found the cheapest born-again uh, psychologist in the South Bay, and um, and I went into intensive therapy, which I needed at that time, because I really think that, you know, at that point, there was like, uh, you know, like they say vampires have no internal organs. They're just totally, there's nothing there. They just exist for the blood or something. Well, I was kind of like that. I had nothing. There was nobody home. The soul was gone. 
it had been eaten away by whatever. That's what I thought. Well, obviously not because God, you know, thought I was so great. But anyway, there was hope. And uh, so I went to the therapist, and we were building the soul and doing what we call primal therapy in those days, which was screaming and yelling and cutting the cord and getting rid of mom. And I was hopelessly enmeshed with my mother, and I had a lot of problems, and we worked on that. So eventually she went to Al-Anon because she couldn't get rid of me. I was like a clam kind of attached to her, you know, like a new obsession. And, uh, and I lost a lot of weight with her. Hess was good. She was like the, the boyfriend, only not because it was like the mom or the new mom. or I don't know what it was, but I got my weight went down. And, uh, but she said, you love these. You want to try AA. You'd love it. I said, no, not till God speaks to me. I, you know, this is, no, God hasn't told me about that. So I went to Sunday school that Sunday, and there, on the blackboard was this, our topic for Sunday school, which was, in order to pray effectively, you must get in touch with your helplessness. And, you know, I was so angry when I saw that. I, I thought, these people in this room, none of them have ever felt helpless. I hate them. And I proceeded to enumerate in my mind, you know, all the reasons why they were never helpless and they had such a perfect life and they didn't know what I was like. They didn't know what my feelings were. And then, you know, I said, well, they all had a – everyone in this room should go to an AA meeting and understand what helplessness is really about. And then God said, no, Val, you – you should go to an AA meeting, and then you'd have a place to take all this crap you're carrying around. So, anyway, I went to this AA meeting, and I fell in love with it. You know, really low-bottom AA, you know, droolers and guys that were right on the waterfront. It was great, you know, and all guys, hardly any women, and, and uh, real low-bottom. And I had four years then, so I looked really good, you know. And uh, and that was great, and they clapped. I love clapping. And um, eventually I got to OA. I uh uh, my Mary, my husband's uh, family went into, in those days they had this thing where they had, you know, it was just the beginning of insurance paying for alcohol recovery and this, the mother, his mother went into re, into a program and we all got therapy as the extended family. It was like a super duper insurance policy. And uh, so we all were going for therapy and then that's when they told me I should go to OA because I was a pig and I was an overeater and I knew that. See, I only gained about 15 pounds on the religion thing, you know, on the therapy thing when I got real into that. So, anyway, eventually I went to OA. I hated it. Uh, you know, people were sitting in a circle whining, and nobody clapped for me. And uh, so I went out and ate for a year. And uh, and then I came, I went after a, an OA Al-Anon kind of combo meeting. I went to dinner with everybody afterwards, and I hadn't eaten all day. I'm a starved binger. So I had starved all day, and uh, and I knew that no matter what I ordered for dinner, I was going to binge till I passed out when I got home. Just kind of the way I drank. So then, um, uh, let's see, what did I do? I I sat there at this restaurant, at a coffee shop, and I watched this woman who was in Al-Anon, and and she had a her, she had three kids, and one of them was like handicapped, and they were all buzzing around. It was nine o'clock at night, and I watched her order dinner, and I knew she was in OA, and that she. She wasn't thin. I mean, she wasn't at normal weight or anything like what I thought she should be, what normal weight was. And um, she ordered one of these really boring things off the menu, like a what I would call a blop, blop, blop meal, which would mean protein, vegetable, and a, like a potato or something or a roll or something. I don't even know what it was like. So boring. And, uh, and I knew, she, I watched her eat that meal, and I knew she wasn't going to eat till breakfast. And I knew, I ordered whole wheat toast. I knew I was going to till I passed out when I got home. And I had no idea of when I would stop eating. And I wanted what she had. <laughs> I didn't want that dinner, but I wanted what she had. 
And uh, so I started going to OA. And I went to OA meetings, and I listened very carefully to what people ate because I wanted to learn, you know, how to eat. And um, I started going on diet. Now I became a vegetarian so I could eat more chocolate. And uh, <laughs> I gained weight on that diet. Then I decided to give up chocolate uh, carob. I went to carob from chocolate. This was a big sacrifice. And I gained weight on that, too, because I began shopping only in health food stores, another diet. And I know there's so much high-calorie food in grocery in health food stores, and I know where it all is, and um, I found it. And I really felt that, uh, you know, I should have a carob malted milk ball in my mouth at all times. That that was the way I got through life, and that without one, I probably wouldn't function. So, um, But I was still going to meetings, listening for new ideas. Then I did get an idea. Um, usually they, they came to me on my own, not from anyone else, although I was listening carefully to what people were eating. And uh, then there was the Marie Callender's diet where I got the soup and a grain. I would come home from work, I would get the soup and a grain, and then I would, thank you, uh, um, bathe, get ready for bed, get into bed, eat the dinner, not get up till breakfast. That's the way I wouldn't eat at night because I was really a night eater. And I gained weight on that one because I just started eating in the morning. Um, in 1989, um, my, well, in 1986, we had a bankruptcy, and I knew my marriage was falling off, falling into rocky territory. And I was very religious, and I'd been praying extensively to God and outlining to God my vision for my marriage and my business and, you know, the whole deal, exactly how it was going. And I would outline it in the mornings in my spiritual time. And, you know, it wasn't happening. And uh, God was whispering out now where God had time to get his voice in in the, in the midst of all my enumerating of what God should be doing. But there was this thought that I might be needing to get a divorce, even though I knew that God did not believe in divorce. But I felt God was leading me to get a divorce because my life was really going shitty. And I, and I was, my husband was behaving very erratically with money and running into debt and doing sort of a sort of a manic depressive thing, although I have no idea if that's what he had. But he would make these big deals and make commitments and order things, and then I would try to pay for it, and I would work, I would do without and do with less and try to make pay his bills and figure this out, and then, you know, then I just saw a lawyer. Well, I went to Al-Anon, and I thought they could fix him, but, uh, you know, they just gave me lawyers' names. And uh, so then, I mean, they not during the meeting, but, you know, afterwards people would help me. Um, so then, you know, I I got a divorce. And, uh, and, and my life was over. Because everything I'd ever wanted, my dreams for my marriage, my, and the small business, I had, oh, if I could just tell you what a great dream I had for our small business. It was so great. Of course, it had nothing to do with business stuff, but it was really about people in our community having a spiritual experience and spending money and then leaving, you know, our business. But, you know, I, I had a plan for them, and none of them were cooperating. And our business was going downhill. And uh, uh, so I divorced the business. I divorced the husband. I didn't want any material things because they were all in hawk. And we were in foreclosure all the time. And, bang, you know, it was bad, bad, bad. I didn't want to own anything anymore. I was just tired of owning because I had to keep trying to make these payments all the time. Every time you buy something, I try to, it was awful. So um, I got another boyfriend. You know, 
you can't really get out till you have the backup boyfriend. And he was really good, and he helped me with the divorce and, and got me some cash. So anyway, I got out. And I'm, I'm in this one-bedroom apartment, and uh, I, I'm not going to commit suicide, you know, but I just, you know, I just think I have these kites on the wall. I was afraid to spend any money because I had no idea. I was too tired to go back to work. I just felt so exhausted from all this frenzy of the, the last, the final days. And so um, I had these brightly colored kites, $1.79 at the store, local store, dime store, and uh, they were brightly colored and cheerful. But when the wind would flow through the apartment, they would just like shudder like they were going to take off. And that's where I felt. I felt like I wasn't going to commit suicide, but I might just leave the planet. You know, I might not stay. Because there was really nothing holding me. You know, the business, the husband, the, the religion. I, oh, and I divorced that religion because that guy, my pastor, was having lunch with my soon-to-be ex-husband. And they were, like, talking about me and stuff. And screw that. And, and you know, and, and I was mad at God. Well, you know, my therapist used to say, when you can't blame anybody else, just blame God. Because people can't really handle the resentment. Just take, put it right on God. It's his fault anyway. So, you know, I was really mad. I was mad all around, you know. Kind of like when I was born. I was born kind of mad. So I was mad, and um, and these people kept coming by my business at the end telling me to go to this how meeting. And they were all thin and everything. I hated them. So, but anyway, there I am. You know, I'm eating from one food group, you know, with butter and jelly on it. And uh, um, so I go to this meeting. God, I turned myself into the first person who said she was available as a sponsor. Oh, my God, was she the wrong choice? Can I tell you? She was 80. Now, I was 40-something, and I knew my life was over because I was too old to ever have. And, of course, if I wasn't married, I couldn't ever have sex again. And I was never going to have, you know, and never, no, and it's over. So I have to stop now. Anyway, um, that woman saved my life. And that's why I love how because she taught me how to eat my food. And... She taught me how to be honest. Well, I don't know if she really did, but she she worked on it for the first five steps, and and it really did save my life. Thank you for listening. We will now have ten minutes of questions from the Ask It Basket. Um, first one is, what is the difference between how and CEA how? This is actually just an opinion in what I've observed. It happens that my sponsor is a member of CEA How now. And uh, um, the only thing I see are external, really external differences. And part of it, the food plan, which is very, very similar to the OA How food plan, virtually identical. The biggest difference that I have observed, and, and you know, I am no expert by any stretch of the imagination. In CEA How, um, if you are not abstinent, you cannot share unless you get permission from your sponsor. And um, I, in OA How, we, you know, everybody can share, just as in in OA. And so that's the biggest difference I see. Um, I, 
you know, my personal opinion, and that's all that it is, is it's really sad that we're fragmented. Um, my, once again, my personal opinion, if we were, if we are together, I think when we work together, you know, more people benefit. So that's about all I can say on it. Thank you. Next one is, I have less than a year in OA and understand that OA and how split. Okay. Uh, CEA How uh, used to be OA How, and in I believe it was 19, was it 86? No, 86. No, no, it was in 96. 96, they uh, they were unable to uh, cooperate with the uh, regular OA's standards of the traditions and the steps in in the way. Um, they disagreed over the way they should be worked. For example, we have a tradition uh, that says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. And there was a sense, I think, to a certain extent, that that argues with you can't share unless you have a certain amount of abstinence. In other words, you're not qualified or you, there's a level there. It sort, of higher, it sort of makes a level there that is that oh, I think OA felt was really not sort of not fair with going against the traditions. And there were other things which I will not go into, other tradition breaks that were a concern. And there was a very, very long process of discussion and suggestion. And then uh, finally, it took a long, long time for this breakup to actually occur. And when it finally did, you know, both, you know, CEA was all ready to form, you know. And I, I like to think about uh, Cocaine Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. Now, Cocaine Anonymous uh, got really mad at Narcotics Anonymous, and they took their coffee pot and they started their new thing, because those Narcotic Anonymous people did not understand those cocaine addicts. And you know what? I can really relate to that feeling. So I, I know that Hal was started by some really desperate people who were terrified of regaining their weight, and they needed structure so badly that they felt that the structure of Hal and Hal is a kind of a structured program. I mean, you know, and I think some people need structure, some people don't. And it's just it's just a possibility for any, and I think it should be in OA. We kept there was a whole group of us in Howe that decided to stay in OA. We didn't want to leave. We just didn't. We just got rid of all those restrictions that were uh, contrary to what OA thought was working the traditions. So we don't have a limitation on um, on uh, abstinence or what kind of abstinence. If you say you're abstinent, you're abstinent. If you say you're not abstinent, you can still share. We, yeah. Then uh, we have none of our literature is secret. It's all out there. All the literature that we used in how is actually it comes from AA and was developed a long time ago and you know has come down all this different different evolved all these different ways. So it's out there. It's not secret. Nothing is secret. Everything's out there. I'm, I'm done talking. How do I find out about OA How? I live in another state, and it isn't in my area, and I couldn't find it on the Internet. Okay. Um, we will now have open sharing. Uh, we have time for three shares. Uh, if you've already shared another workshop, please give others a chance. 
before you come forward. Limit your share to three minutes. Stay on the topic and sign the tape release form after you share. Do I have three volunteers? We have time for a third volunteer. Hi, I'm Judith, and I'm a supporter of Edith. And um, thank you very much for your shares. And I was so pleased that um, just right after the last speaker, somebody said, oh, there's a how meeting. I didn't even see it was on there. And um, I was going to go to another meeting. And I just realized um, I've gone through the convention and realized the one room I need to be in is with a group of people who understand and really get it, that there are a whole huge amount of people in Overeaters Anonymous, just like me, who need a serious amount of structure. And... um, what I'm really grateful for and afraid of at the same time is that I got it. I get it. That I wake up every day and I have never in my life known when to start nor to stop eating. And the only way I've ever been able to have that day by day is that every day I've been taught by the people in how how to do it with a very structured meal plan and what, you know, it's like you eat these times and you stop these times. And uh, whether I eat at uh, 10, 2, and 8, or you eat at 6, 3, and whatever, that doesn't matter, but we eat three times, and we stop three times. And I heard that in here, you know, in the rooms today. But the bottom line for me is that if I don't do the steps, and I don't answer the questions, and I don't show up for the meetings three times a week, and I don't call you, and I don't call the sponsor, what the hell am I doing here? I'm, I'm better off at Weight Watchers, you know, where they at least wear you in. Um, so... The good news here is it's all about honesty, openness, and willingness. And um, I am here at this convention for one more day to surrender to the fact I have a disease. I was born with it. I can't get it out of my fucking head. It's not going to leave me. And the only thing that seemed to have worked up to this moment is the HAL program. So I am following the winners in this room who know that the only way out of this disease every single morning is to wake up, pray, meditate, call your sponsor, write the food down, tell her what you're going to eat, follow the book, write it out. You know, every day. But you know what? That is so much less problem than trying to figure out what I'm going to eat from one end of the universe to the other because it's open buffet every day. And so the great news is, is I really don't care. I'll just go ahead and write down a food written from the food plan. I write it down, I commit to it, and I eat it. And if I change it, I generally will call my sponsor. I'm so minute, who cares? But I don't have to think about it. About 95% of the time, I don't think about it anymore. And for most of the time, I keep the weight down. So, you know, I'm so pleased to have how many in here today. Because there is an insanity going on, and I, I have that insanity, and the only way out is the HAL program. As far as I can tell, the only way to work the OA program for me is with some damn good structure, just like the alcoholics do, because they have a choice every day what they're going to drink. And the only way they don't do it is to call their sponsor and make sure they don't touch alcohol. The only way I can do it is I can't eat sugar, flour, the wheat. I can't do it. So in how, at least, I don't get to even bother thinking I can. Somebody tells me every day I can't, and I get it. So I'm so pleased that you're here with us. I am so pleased, and I know some of you have been around for a long time, and I'm really grateful for that. And some of you have been down just a few days or a few months, and I'm really grateful for that. And I hope to come back again next year, absolutely again. Thank you.
my name is Laverna, and I have been in the HAL program uh, since 98. I started in regular OA, and I was a secretary for some meetings in Marin County, which is Northern California. <clears throat> and a lady came to the meeting and was talking about this HAL program and how she was losing weight, and I thought that's what I need to do. So I went, I got into HAL in July of 98, and this month I'm celebrating seven years of abstinence. Um, I have so far released 170 pounds, and I feel so much better. Uh, I lost right away about 80 pounds when I first got into Howl, and then I reached a plateau because I went through a divorce. When the divorce was over, then my weight started releasing again, and I got rid of the rest of it, and I still have a little bit to go. But the funny thing about it is that I've gone, I've give, donated all my clothes out to a women's shelter in San Francisco. I've gone through all my kids' clothes, and now I'm wearing my grandchildren's clothes. <laughs> and that is just the funniest thing to me. And, you know, I'll call, I says, I says, I need a pair of white jeans. And they'll say, well, gee, Granny, you can't come to my closet. I says, I'm on the way, you know. And uh, But the program just really saved me. I needed the structure. I think I've had structure all my life, you know, from little bitty all the way up through school. You were told what to wear, what to eat. Uh, like going to school, when to start a class, when you get out, you couldn't ditch. You, you got went to school, you were kind of locked up in there, and that was it. You know, if, if they missed you, they called your parent, and the, the nuns would even come to your house if you were out sick for too long. So I needed the structure that the HAL program offered, and it just kind of kept me straight. You know, I call my sponsor, uh, I write my food, I turn it in, I do four to five meetings a week, and uh, and that's what I have to do. That's just what I have to do to, to stay. I don't even think about uh, my food anymore because I know exactly what I'm supposed to eat. I go to the doctors. I had uh, heart disease, diabetes, uh, mild emphysema, arthritis, and uh, I will complain my feet hurt, my knees hurt, my hips hurt, my back hurt, and they all said if you lose 50 pounds, nothing would hurt. If you lose 50 pounds, nothing would hurt. And so now that I've lost the 50 pounds or better, uh, I still have the arthritis. The, the coldness in these rooms have really been bothering me the last couple of days because I've had to take some Tylenol, and I was really surprised. But uh, I do exercise. I, I have movement. If I'm sick and I cannot take my walks, I won't gain any weight, but I won't lose any weight. So I take a walk in the morning, and I do something in the afternoon, you know, because the doctor said I have to lose a few more pounds. And I thought, well, you know, I really can't do much more to my food. So how am I going to do this? And she says, do do exercise twice. So I'll get up in the morning, and I'll take my morning walk, and then in the afternoon I'll wash the car or something. I've never done that before. You know, that the guys always did that or something, you know. And uh, one morning I was out there washing my car at 6 in the morning because I didn't want my neighbors to see me doing that. And it worked, you know, it was a form of exercise. Or I'd come home and iron 20 shirts or something, you know, and, so some other form of movement is what I had to do. But I really feel good. Uh, I'm off of more than half of my um, medication for the for the cardiologist and um, uh, the diabetes. I don't have to take the medication anymore. I control my diabetes with my food, and that's just absolutely a miracle. Uh, I studied the history of my grandparents and their brothers and sisters and how they lived their lives and what they had to go through. I looked at my mother and her, her generation and what they went through, and I was on the same road to heart disease. Uh, being a black African-American, it was just like you're destined. And I thought, well, if I take a left turn and go a different direction, maybe I can change something. And that's what I did with this program. <clears throat> so now 
Uh, I am in good health, and my doctors are amazed, and they're very happy with my success. My children are happy. I have 27 grandchildren, and I will get to see them graduate, go to college, and maybe get married, you know. And so for me, if it wasn't for this program, I would not have these gifts. Uh, and to me, this is what it's about. It's about living a healthy life and not staying at the buffet table forever, you know, been there, done that. And so it's not so much about the food anymore. For me, it's about the life of my family. Um, I'm teaching uh, the grandchildren that there's more vegetables than just corn and potatoes because usually <laughs> that's what it is, you know. <clears throat> we have family dinners almost every week and uh, a big potluck thing. You just cook the best thing you can or we might plan a theme menu, but there's always about four or five vegetables on the table and not just all salads. I mean, stuff that's cooked. And uh, I have a granddaughter that if it's not at least two or three, the whole production of the dinner has to stop and they have to go in the kitchen and make something else hot. So I'm turning them on to a lot of different vegetables that they've never had before. And I thought, well, this is a start, you know, this is a start for them. And um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the program. I'm so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful to Hal. Thank you. Hi, my name is Kath Ellen, compulsive overeater and sugar addict. Hi, I'm in Howe OA and I also go to OA. I didn't know there was any controversy. I've been in OA for one year and abstinent for one year and it doesn't bother me that there are different strokes for different folks. I think that's basically life and I think it's nice that we have a place where anybody who wants to can come in and anybody who doesn't like it can walk out. <laughs> But everybody's welcome, and so it's fine. I like all my meetings that I go to. Um, the reason that I started a year ago was I was very sick, and I swore if I could get better, nobody could figure it out, but if I could get better, then I'd take the weight off. So I lost 65 pounds in six months, and I've maintained that for six, seven months. And um, I love it that it's no sugar, because I realize I'm a sugar addict, and that's what I can't stop. I can't stop on desserts or stuff like desserts or whatever. And so I really needed somebody to say, stop that. And it makes sense to me to just stop it. So I do. It's a lot of work in this program. And when I decided I was going to get better, you know, and go to OA, I was really scared to come here because I knew it was like the end of that life. So I went to um, OA and I just happened in on how. I didn't know there were different kinds in this building that I go to has all different kinds of meetings, 12-step meetings, and I went to OA and it was how, and I only found that out like a month later. I didn't even know I was in how. Um, and I, I knew it was OA, but I didn't know there were brands, you know. And so uh, so um, it turned out it was a lot of work and I knew that, so luckily I had the month of June last year to work on it. And the reason it's a lot of work is I didn't actually cook before. I just kind of ate and I would uh, run out um, in a panic to get bad stuff, uh, you know the list, um, because I just wanted to eat, but I didn't really plan. And being single, nobody noticed this except me, so it's a lot of work. And now that I, I have a year, uh, I feel like an old timer because now I'm not saying how many months I'm absent. You know, for so long that's four months, five months, six months, that took forever. 
So now I can just stay a year for a good long time. So um, I need some new help with God, and I'm finding a new relationship with God. And I told God that I need new songs because the hymns I grew up with, they don't fit for me anymore because I'm changing. So God's giving me new hymns. So I'm going to sing you my new, um, my new hymn, my OA hymn. It's number two in the list that I have. Hundreds of people in Hawaii are planning just like me. Hundreds of people in Hawaii are shopping just like me. No more fat, no more white stuff. We care about our body and we give it everything good. Every uh, Hundreds of people in Hawaii are cooking just like me. Hundreds of people in Hawaii are eating just like me. And I sing this in the shower in the morning about four or five times. And it pumps me up because sometimes I think this program is a heck of a lot of work. And, you know, it, it just makes me happy. So to end, if you'd like to join me, I'm going to sing it one more time. <laughs> Hundreds of people in Hawaii are standing just like me. Hundreds of people in Hawaii are shopping just like me. No more fat, no more white stuff. I care about my body, so I give it everything good. Hundreds of people in Hawaii are just like me. Hundreds of people in Hawaii are eating just like me. It's now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the third step prayer. Do you want to join in a circle? Okay.